0: Flesh and the Spirit. Y'all help me with that ringing as well. And so I realized that when the Lord said it's time for a pop quiz, it was during the time where I was planning and praying for 2020, and the Lord just shut me down. I was here at the church, I was putting in extra chairs for Sunday service, which I want to say, amazing job for Sunday service. Worshiping our Sunday was incredible. And um, I was putting in chairs, and the Lord just spoke to me, and He said, "It's time to go back to discipleship." And I was like, "Lord Jesus, we went through four months of that. Good God!" And um, but I realized that there's something deeper that the Lord is building. There's something greater that the Lord is building. And anytime you move from subjects like uh, finances and relationships, and you start hitting real spiritual issues, um, it creates this dynamic where there is a um, a resistance to it. So I need you to touch your neighbor and tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. Hey, neighbor. I, need I need you to open up and receive the word on tonight. Word on tonight. All right. Um, mark the uh, the, eighth chap- the mark the ninth chapter. Um, now, you're going to take out your pen, your pad. There is no scripture on the screens. Y'all know how we do discipleship around right here. You got to get in this word. Amen. So get your Bibles. Mark the ninth chapter, verse number 42. And I'm going to be teaching on radical discipleship. Radical discipleship. Mark the ninth chapter, verse number 42. Now, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was like, Lord, we gonna start here. (laughs) When you see this scripture, Jesus help us tonight. Mark the ninth chapter, verse number 42. If you have it, say amen. Amen, it's not enough of y'all saying amen. Mark the ninth chapter, verse number 42. I'm gonna wait on you, praise the Lord. Mark nine, verse number 42. You got it? Yes, sir. Okay. Some of y'all had it. You were just trying to read it before I started reading it. Here we go. Mark the ninth chapter, verse number 42, and concluding at verse number 50. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell, where where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. I need you to say, Help us, Lord, tonight. Help us, Lord. All right. Um, this text is rough. <laughs> this is Jesus talking. It is a graphic terminology and, it's dr- and dramatic acts that he is talking about. It is severe warnings and violent threats that he's basically giving. But it is also a passage about, dis- about radical discipleship. Jesus is calling us, you and I, into radical discipleship, not discipleship that is safe and vague. Because now we live in a time where Christians are trying to be safe and vague amongst a world that is anti-God. But in a time of superficiality, Jesus wants our discipleship experience to be a radical one. What is the definition of radical? A word that refers to something that is fundamental and fanatical, something that is intrinsic and intensive something that is essential and extreme. (laughs) I'm gonna say all that again. Radical refers to something that is fundamental and fanatical, something that is intrinsic and intensive, and something that is essential and extreme. It is a great word to use for discipleship, why? Because discipleship is something that is fundamental and fanatical, intrinsic and intensive, essential and extreme. And being radical is nothing new to Jesus. Jesus comes and he makes a lot of statements that's very out the box and very radical. Jesus' ministry has been evangelistic, he's been reaching out to people, but it's not the idea of reaching out to people that you and I have, that you know, he's just this little, this man, that got the little lamb in his hand and he looks all nice and he got the children around him and he's teaching, Jesus loves the little children, all the children know the world. That is the mindset that we have of Jesus, but Jesus was radical. He was inviting people into the kingdom of heaven, into a realm of salvation. What is that? They didn't know what that was. He was asking them, watch this. He said, listen, come, repent of your sins. Believe in me. Receive forgiveness and eternal life. What you mean receive forgiveness? You, a man just like me, gonna tell me to receive forgiveness? I need forgiveness from you. in order to become his disciple. And to be his true follower, it takes a radical move. Jesus told them, this is radical, deny yourself. You mean I got to say no to myself? I've been saying yes to myself my entire life. I want ice cream, yes. (laughs) I want a relationship, yes. I want to sleep around, yes. I want to smoke weed, yes. Uh Uh-huh, yes. You've told, you and I have told ourselves, yes, all our lives. And Jesus shows up and says, hey, if you're going to be my disciple, deny yourself. He even goes even further than that. We've read this before where he tells them, listen, you got to be also willing to forsake all family ties and earthly relationships. If you got to forsake your mother and father to follow me, then do what you got to do. Is that not radical? Yeah. He told them, in order to follow me, you must be willing to forfeit your own money and even your own plans and your future that you got for yourself. He literally tells them, listen, I don't care what plans you think you got, surrender them all to me. See how quiet it got? Because this is the Jesus we don't like. We want the Jesus that say, you're forgiven, and all your sins are passed away, and you are a new creation in Jesus Christ, and everything is wonderful, and you are tiptoeing through the tulips, and you're in the land of milk and honey, and overflow is coming my way, but ain't nothing coming your way, and you still disobedient. Okay, so, so we got we to gotta deal with the radicalness. It, it, Jesus comes with a message, watch this, he says, give up control of your life. You know this is radical when he says, watch this, give up control of your life, die, or even crucify. Watch this, to follow me, you got to follow me in total submission. Everybody say submission. submission. That's radical. Because discipleship of Jesus Christ, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is radical. And the text we read is consistent with this radical call. When Jesus makes this statement, I need you to understand this, Jesus is in the middle of training his disciples. Everybody say training. Because if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to be trained. You can't worship your way into discipleship. You missed what I just said. Because this is the generation where you want a song and you want to lift your hands, but you still want to live obedient, disobedient. And God is saying, watch this, the only way that you're going to be my disciple is you got to be trained. I got to get the junk out of your mind and of your spirit and the stuff that you done picked up along your life and the ways that you have made and you say this is how I'm gonna live my life I got to come in your heart and renovate and make you brand new and take all the junk in the mess that your mama taught you and that the world taught you and that your feelings taught you and I got to pull all that out and I got to put in you everything that you need to have in order to please me because it's with the mind of Christ that we that we serve the Lord that you have to serve him in faith so watch this so you can't do what you want to do so if you're gonna come to me watch this now I need to train you and he trains the disciples now catch this he's already trained them in prayer in faith and in humility and after he gets through with humility then he goes to discipleship catch this because the only way you can really be a disciple is you got to learn how to be humble okay I'm a pastor and I got people, ministers, that, want that, that, that you know, say that the Lord called them to preach and all this kind of stuff. And one of the hardest things that I've realized that when it comes to training other ministers is that they come with their preconceived ideas of what a minister is, and then you meet me. <laughs> and, and I will challenge you the entire way. And, and, and when you come with your preconceived ideas and I challenge you the entire way, if you don't walk in humbleness, you will never catch what I'm trying to give you. Because some things are caught, not taught. Catch that. And you can't catch it if you're always puffed up and you don't know how to walk in humbleness. Touch your neighbor and say, be humble, be humble. Maybe if you got humble on your job, you'll get promoted. <laughs> Y'all getting quiet on me tonight. It's going to be rough. I love it. And, says, and Jesus says, after I done trained you how to pray, and after I trained you in faith, and after I trained you in humility, now let me teach you about discipleship. So I want to give you four aspects, write this down, four aspects of radical discipleship. Four aspects of radical discipleship. Four aspects of radical discipleship. Four aspects. One, two, three, four. Four aspects of radical discipleship. Here we go. Here's number one. Number one, write this down. Radical love. Radical love. look back at verse number 42 if anyone causes this one of these little ones those who believe in me to stumble it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their necks and they were thrown into the sea pastor what that got to do with love how you get love out of that watch this what is Jesus saying here let's let's give you context for the text if a stone were tied around the neck of an individual and that person was thrown into the sea. That person would be pulled to the bottom of the sea, and they would what? What would end up happening? They would drown, right? Watch this. When Jesus uses this image, his listeners of that time were familiar with what he was saying because during that time, the Romans would carry out execution by tying heavy stones around the necks of their victims and throwing them into rivers and to lakes to kill them. I was watching uh, a documentary on on yesterday about Emmett Till. Y'all know who Emmett Till is? The, the young man in 1955, I believe it was, that whistled at a white woman and, and they came and, and got him and um, they mutilated him and just, I mean, it was horrible what they did to him. And they ended up tying a, um, a fan, a 70-pound fan, around him. Now, he's a teenage little boy. To be honest, like, I think he was like 15 years old. And he's a teenage boy and they tie a 70-pound uh, fan around his neck, throw him into the river, and they found him three days later. Okay? Y'all don't know that? Y'all don't know? Y'all know y'all history, please. Okay? Now watch this. Watch this. Jesus is using this imagery because they understood the Romans used to do this to them. That if they didn't like them, they would take you, put a, a stone around your neck, a millstone, and they would throw you in the water for you to end up drowning. It wasn't enough to kill you. You had to drown. Watch this. And the imagery that Jesus is using is very graphic. Jesus is describing a death that is horrible uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Yet he says, watch this, it would be preferable for a person to die this way than for them to cause one of his to fall into sin. That sounds a little strong, don't it? Jesus said, I'd rather for you to have a stone tied around your neck and you thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of mine to sin. It's going to get quiet right through here. Watch this. He says, and Jesus is using a strong language as a call for love. Pastor, how is that love? He is expressing a love we should have, watch this, for other believers so that we don't lead them into sin. Because do you know, that saints love to lead other saints into sin. Jesus is passionate about the corporate righteousness of his family of his kingdom of his church Jesus is trying to show us that he has a protective attitude towards those that belong to him I came to announce to somebody tonight that if you belong to God God is saying I am very protective about what people do to you and how they handle you and is there anybody here that could just admit that there's some people that did you dirty and God had to flip the script on them and you had to step back and see that uh-huh touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm okay I need you to touch your name and tell your neighbor. watch how you handle me, you handle me. yeah because God God has a real problem with that of how you handle his children he has a real problem with how you handle his people he has a problem with how you come after his people you don't believe me so let me prove it to you let's go to Genesis the 12th chapter Genesis the 12th chapter verse number one Genesis 12 verse number one Keep your Bibles open because we're gonna walk through it on tonight. Genesis twelve, verse number one. If you don't know where Genesis at, we talk to me after church. Amen. Amen. Genesis, Genesis. That means the beginning. Praise to God. Genesis twelve, verse number one. If you have not say Amen. I knew y'all was saying strong there. Uh, Genesis 12, verse number one. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, watch this, and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Here it is, verse number three. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I need you to see this. This lays the foundation for a principle that if you harm God's people, catch this, harm will come to you. I know this is a reality that we don't like to face because we want to think that everybody's on equal playing ground. But I came to let you know that because you belong to Jesus Christ, there is a favor that rests on you that if anybody come after you, God going to have to deal with them. And is there anybody here that say, I ain't got to fight the battle because the battle is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. He will fight for me. I ain't got to fight. Oh, God, if you bless God's people, blessings will come to you. Come on, let's go. Zechariah 2 and 8. Zechariah 2 and 8. Oh, y'all gonna find scripture tonight. Zechariah 2 and 8. Bless you. A uh, coffin or whatever that was. Zechariah 2 and 8. <laughs> like, that's an extended sneeze, Jesus. <laughs> Zechariah 2 and 8. You hear this all the time. You just didn't know where it was. You have a say, amen? Amen. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations and have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. Do y'all see that? I need you to understand this. He is saying, God is telling them, listen, whoever touches you is touching the apple of my eye. God saying, watch this, my people are the apple of my eye. Now, what does that mean? The apple of my eye is actually the center of my eye. What it means is that when you touch those that belong to me, catch this, you are actually poking the center of God's eye. Okay, some of y'all didn't catch what I just said. God is saying that when they bother you, they are bothering me by touching the center of my eye. You missed the shout. That means that his eye is on you. That means you are always in the view of God. I want you to do away with this theology that makes you to believe that God ain't with you and God is not there just because he ain't talking don't mean he ain't looking. God, I wish I had somebody right there. And I need somebody here to realize that you got a God that is watching out for you because you are in the center of his eye. And when they start irritating you, what it means is that it's irritating him. And God is saying, if you are irritating me uh, when you mess with them, you are irritating me when you mess with them. This is why folk better watch How they handle you folk need to be careful how they treat you because you are the apple of God's eye and it irritates him when they mess with you I need you to pat yourself and say I am the apple of God's eye He loves me so much that he has his eye on me at all times. And when it seemed like they're getting the best of me, I serve a God that is right there looking out for me every single day of my life. Can you just take about three seconds and give God glory that you are the apple of God's eye? Run over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse number 6. Matthew 18, verse number 6. I don't want to turn to it, but write, it, write this down. Psalms 105 and 15. Psalms 105 and 15. Write that down. Psalms 105 and 15. I'll read it for you. Psalms 105 and 15. Do not touch my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. That's where it's at. Okay? Psalms 105 and 18. Matthew 18, verse number 6. Matthew 18, verse number 6. you ever say amen. Amen? if anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me to stumble it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their necks and to be drowned in the depths of the sea verse number seven woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble such things must come but woe to the person through whom they come Jesus saying watch this you and I believers should expect stumbling blocks from the world. You should not be surprised when the world creates stumbling blocks for you. That should not surprise you. Jesus is saying, listen, it's gonna happen The the days of man are few and full of trouble, where he says in another place. He's trying to let us know that stumbling blocks are going to come from the world. You can't help it. You can't stop it. It's going to happen. You should expect, watch this, the world to solicit and seduce because the world is under the power of Satan. So you should not be surprised by that. The world wants wants to pull you into sin. The world wants you to go through the things that you go through. The world wants you to turn up. It wants you. In fact, it makes it attractive to you. It it seduces and solicits you into sin, because the world, that's what the world does. It ain't got nothing else but to do but to sin. That's what the world wants wants you to do. But Jesus says in verse number seven, woe to the person through whom they come. And that word woe, everybody say woe, Woe. is a denunciation that is in effect, watch this, a curse. God is, is, is putting a curse on the person that pulls you into sin that's heavy isn't it we expect it from the world to seduce believers but here he says that judgment is pronounced on the world and extended to anyone that solicits another believer into sin okay uh, let me break this down because I've been struggling with this and I need to kind of lay the foundation for this on tonight so I need y'all to kind of stay with me and it's gonna hurt And you just say ouch and receive it okay Um, I'm not gonna come to church and act one way in church but then get with you one-on-one and expose you to my sinfulness in order to find an ally in the places that I'm undisciplined it's gonna get tight right through here I'm not gonna be a leader in the church or active in the church and then pull you into my folly I'm not going to expose you to places you can't handle because I don't want you to stumble on the account of me. So I can't do everything around you, and you can't do everything around everybody else. Because without sanctification, watch this, I will only look for people that connect to my dysfunction and not to my discipleship process. And here is the tough part. We pick people based upon dysfunction now. You messy, they messy, y'all click. You horny, they horny, y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me let me let's talk real good. You a womanizer, he a womanizer, so now y'all bros. I, oh, excuse me. This is not talking about people outside the church. Jesus is talking to people in the church. Because we pick people based upon dysfunction now not based upon destiny because most times when you pick people based upon destiny they'll get on your nerves you don't like it they will bother you why because they are going to push you to your better self not to your worse self and anytime you surround yourself with people that allow you to be dysfunctional you have hooked up with Satan himself can't do everything around everybody I went to. I, I, I'm gonna tell two stories, and I'm and I'm done. Um, I remember one time I was out with some church people, and um, we sitting at the table, and one of the persons at the table wanted a cocktail. Now, do the Bible say anything wrong with drinking? No. The Bible says though. Cause let me let me let me let me clear this up because the Bible does say you should not drink in what excess right okay so that you should not be a, a drunk but there's another scripture that y'all keep jumping over that says that when you drink it makes a marker out of you you know what that ma- a marker mean a fool yeah. not when you drunk it makes a mark out of you It says when you drink yeah. oh you need your Bible <laughs> watch this so so I'm not gonna tell you, you ain't supposed to drink what I am gonna say is you need to watch mixed company because everybody can't handle everything I can't go out and be at the restaurant with y'all. And I'm talking about bring me something that, no, no. Because come Sunday, you're going to be looking at me cross sided. And when I say, Thus saith the Lord, all you're going to think about is that was Pastor sitting there drinking real good. Are y'all seeing what I'm saying? Okay. Every, you can't do everything with everybody because everybody is not on the same level of maturity. And the problem with the saints and why we are losing our effectiveness in the, in the world is because now we're doing everything with everybody and there's no limits anymore. It used to be a time there was a standard of righteousness. Yeah. It's gonna get tight right through here. You wasn't coming up in my grandmother's uh, house and talking about um, I'm gonna bring me a, 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 some cool, a wine coolers. She wouldn't even play wine coolers. Wow. Get them spirits out of my house. because there had to be a standard of righteousness if I'm gonna call myself a child of God. It's getting tight right through here. And the problem is Jesus is realizing that we are, are being a detriment to his kingdom, to his church, to his family, because we are allowing any and everything to happen and we're, and we're using the veil of grace as if it's okay. And here's what the world tells you, you know, we all got issues we all struggle. Yeah, we all struggle, but here's the reality. You don't have to show your struggle to everybody because everybody can't handle your struggle. You're too open. You're too open. Let me be pastor just for a minute. I know we got visitors in here, but I'm be pastor in here. Some of the people that were ran up out of this church was because they hooked up with people that were undisciplined and undiscipled. And they experienced God through you, and your God looked janky. And then they come to me saying well I just ain't receiving no more honey it ain't coming from this way it's because you connected yourself around people who ain't living nothing and now you have nothing to look up to I tell you all the time when I really got saved for real I was going to 730 service at my church in Miami sitting on the front row with the old mothers of the church they showed me how to shout they showed me how to seek God they showed me how to get up early in the morning I came in late one day. One of the mothers said, uh-uh, we don't come in late. You need to be here early. Well, ma'am, it's empty seats back there. I could have sat back there. She said, but are you seeking him? Are you serious about this thing? So I need you to meet me here at 720 every, every Sunday morning. See, ain't nobody got no standing no more. Because now when you're late, ooh, child, I'm late. Ooh, girl, me too. <laughs> Touch your neighbor and say, pick your standard up. Why are you picking your standard up? Because somebody is watching you, and you are supposed to be the representation of Jesus Christ in the earth. Here's the reason why we should be careful how we treat each other. Go to Mark 9, chapter, verse number 37. Back to Mark the 9, chapter, but jump up to verse number 37. Mark 9, 37. You ever say Amen whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me catch this Jesus is saying that Christ lives in every believer you believe in Jesus Christ you have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you Christ lives on the inside of you right and as a result how you treat a believer is actually how you treat Christ how can you be mean to the person that you see every day but say you love a God that you ain't never seen Okay, How you treat Christ is how you treat God. You can't isolate the believer from Christ. You can't solicit, you can't isolate the believer from God the Father because he dwells in that believer. So Jesus says, be careful how you treat one another, be, uh, another believer, because how you treat them is how you treat me. That's heavy, isn't it? So let me show you in a deeper level how this works. Go to John the 13th chapter. John 13, verse number 20. The gospel according to John uh, 13, verse number 20. John 13, verse number 20. You have say amen. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I sin accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Y'all see that? You see how he is saying that we are intertwined with one another, that you can't separate us out, okay? Go over to 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6. verse number 17 1 Corinthians 6 verse number 17 I'm just building my case trying to show you that how you treat another believer is how you treat Christ 1 Corinthians 6 verse number 17 1 Corinthians 6 verse number 17 the Bible says but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit Christ lives on the inside of you so when you, watch this, and Christ lives on the inside of another believer. So I need you to catch this. So how you treat that other believer is actually how you treat treating Christ. Do you see this? You don't have to turn to it. Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Go to over to Acts the ninth chapter, Acts nine. Acts the ninth chapter, verse number one. Acts the ninth chapter, verse number one. The Bible says, "Meanwhile, Saul was breathing was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest." And asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem as he neared Damascus on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him watch this this is what I need you to see Saul Saul why do you persecute me. Do y'all see that? Okay, jump back to verse number uh, uh, one. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against who? The Lord's disciples. Y'all see that? He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the Christian way, that's before it was called Christianity, it was called the way, um, who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Verse number four, he said, the voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, who's the voice? It's the Lord, Okay the Lord said why do you persecute me but verse number one and verse number two says he wanted to persecute those that were in the way the Christians y'all see that do y'all see that now I'm confused because why would the Lord say why do you persecute me when he was actually going after the people because Jesus is saying I'm in them and they in me so what you do to them you're actually doing it to me so when you messy with somebody in the church, you also messy with the Lord. I, that boomerang came around and knocked some of y'all in the back of y'all head. Yeah. He's saying what you do to them, you're actually doing it to me because I'm in them. And I don't care how crazy they act, and I don't care how much you don't like them, and I don't care how much they get on your nerves, because I'm here to tell you, church people are crazy, and and sometimes you don't like them too much, and sometimes they will get on your nerves, but there's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And no matter how much I might not like you, there's still Jesus on the inside of you, and I still got to love you, because if I love him, then I got to love you as well. Amen is getting silent. This is the kind of love to... This is a kind of love to never be the source of solicitation of sin to another person, to solicit them uh, to the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the lust of the world or pride of life. This love doesn't do that. Love does not solicit you to sin. Let me say that again. Love does not solicit you to sin. There's no way that you can say I love you and make you sin at the same or try to get you to sin at the same time. Love does not solicit to sin. Love does the opposite. 1 Corinthians 13, you have to turn there. Love does not enjoy someone falling into sin. Okay? Here's the problem with our generation. We live in such a uh, warped world, catch this, that we live in a world that puts you on blast and then cancels you at the same time. We put you on blast and then we have cancel culture. Y'all know what I mean? okay so we put you on blast we talk about you we'll put you on the internet we'll put you on social media and um, black Twitter is a mess because it works even faster than everybody else and by the time uh, a minute has passed by it's already been shared 5,000 times and it just goes and goes and goes and now we don't put you on blast and then at the same time watch this then we gonna cancel you okay but God says love doesn't do that love does not enjoy seeing someone fall into sin we, we had this thing now, some of y'all have seen it, where there's this man who, ha- his, he has a show on Facebook that he don't do nothing but talk about the church and church people. You, I didn't want you to say the name because I don't need them go looking at it. <laughs> Sometimes you don't tell all the information to the saints because they like to go research stuff. And, they, and then they get caught up because they ain't mature enough to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Watch this. He, his whole platform is to put the church and church people on blast all day long and then his his standpoint is well if you didn't do it I wouldn't have to talk about it as if you have no sin yourself see you gotta be very careful can I tell you all something I'm very leery sometimes that I have to approach preaching against sin in a certain way in a certain form because as I'm talking to you I'm talking to myself at the same time and I can't put you on blast and feel good about it when I know I got some skeletons in my own closet Touch your name and say how many skeletons are in your closet. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some of y'all, you have a walk in closet. Some of y'all have taken a whole bedroom and got and turned it into a closet. Why? You know why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what good am I if I get glee and I get happy over your shortcomings? What kind of character do I have when I'm celebrating the fall of another saint? You know what I've discovered? The enemy don't have to fight the church. Church people do it. he was going to fall out that (laughs) the enemy don't have to kill the church church people will do watch this church people are the only army that will kill its own wounded first Peter fourth chapter first Peter fourth chapter verse number eight I'm gonna get off this radical love in just one minute first Peter Fourth chapter. You know I'm still on the first point, right? Okay. First Peter, the first. I looked up at Danielle. Danielle, like, yes. Please move on. You're wearing me out with this. First Peter, the fourth chapter, verse number eight. Uh, New King James Version. First Peter, fourth chapter, verse number eight says, "And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude." Of sins see I know you really have the love of God when you cover your brother and not blast your brother I know you have the love of God when you shut down the conversation of other people not sit there and listen to it Mm mm-hmm watch this a fervent love a stretch love an absolute maximum that goes far as it goes there's sometimes that you don't even want to extend the love that far but you got to do it anyway because the same way that you covering them God covered you is there anybody in here that can say God I thank you because there's some stuff that should have got out that didn't get out because you covered me and the same way you covered me I'm gonna cover somebody else not solicit but cover fervent love helps others toward holiness It's the kind of love that elevates others to righteousness. So how, I want to kind of make sure you understand this. How can we lead others into sin? Because I need you to see this. How do we lead others into sin? Number one, direct temptation. You tempt someone to sin. Direct temptation. How do we lead others into sin? Number one, direct temptation. You invite them to sin. It's direct temptation. You invite people to lie. You invite people to gossip. You invite people to cheat. You invite people. You solicit them. You ask them. You you want them to be a part of it. Girl, guess what I heard. What? (laughs) You invite them. Mm Mm-hmm. You invite them to sin. You and a DMs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just hit the church. Fresh meat, I guess. <laughs> and you know they ain't that—they ain't disciplined. You know they ain't that sanctified. You know they new. You know they green. But God knows that in the church there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. Sir. Then I come talking my holiness, and they like, "Child, please, ain't nobody holy around here." Because they've been screwing you. Everybody say direct temptation. direct temptation. Number two, indirect temptation. Indirect temptation. Breathe in, breathe out. You're going you're gonna to make it through this. Indirect temptation. What does that mean? It means you provoke them to jealousy by flaunting what you have. I cringed on Sunday. Let me. T- I'm just gonna be honest with you. I cringed on Sunday when they said how much that check was. I cringed because I know church people. Because now you count my dollars. Mhm. I guarantee you, at least 65% of y'all did it. Even if you weren't thinking about it or trying, you automatically started counting my dollars. It, you know, we live in a culture now where the preacher can't be blessed. The preacher gotta be poor and hungry and the people be blessed and if the preacher ever get blessed then it's something wrong and the preacher must be stealing all the money and all this other stuff right okay um and 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 let's be clear I ain't on that one account (laughs) I can't go up to nobody's bank because I said I ain't going to hell over money and something else Watch this. But sometimes when you flaunt stuff, you are pushing people to into sin. Why? Because here's the thing. It 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 when you get a new car, maybe you don't need to post it on social media. You you're provoking them to anger by indifferences or unkindness, lack of forgiveness, overbearing expectations. Here and here's, here's I wrote this, so I need you to hear this, because I heard you even before you said it. Well, Pastor, I can't control other people's reactions but you can monitor maturity. Some people ain't mature enough to handle. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Some things you don't need to post. Some things you don't need to put out there because everybody can't handle it because everybody's not that mature. Do you get that? Everybody can't handle everything. And you got to be mature enough to understand that and not put everything on blast because you are indirectly creating temptation. I don't want you to fall because of how God blessed me. I don't want you to fall because of indirect temptation. I don't want to provoke you to anger or indifference. Let's get off of that and let's move to something else. Sometimes you're provoking by anger by indifference when, watch this, when you walk in, you know you got a problem with them, they know they got a problem with you, and you walk in and you speak to everybody else but them. Come on, you do, this, you do this with your family. Indirect temptation. And then if they say something to you, then you play the victim. Oh, I feel a victim spirit up in here. You the victim now. Because they checked you on your behavior. I ain't do nothing. I came in here. I was fine. I was in good spirits. Number three. Number three, setting a sinful example. Setting a sinful example. Doing things that people see that are sinful and creating a path that they will follow. Me and Winchell went to L.A. one time, and um, we was on, I was on vacation, he was on vacation, and I have friends in L.A., and, and I don't care how saved you are, all of us got some friends that ain't saved you need to have some friends that ain't saved and just be real with you you do um, because how can you be light in darkness if you're never around darkness we all light we light up in here but you need to be light and darkness somewhere else so I have friends that I've known for years you know they used to love the Lord I don't know what happened they got out to the L.A. and lost their mind and so we're hanging out and we're having a good time and when Chell knows I, I'm your pastor so, I ain't gonna do certain things around you. So, when I went to go hang out with my friends, guess what? I left Winchell. <laughs> Y'all not hearing what I'm saying? Because even though he is mature in the faith, there might be some things that he can't handle that I don't need to expose him to. Do you see that? And he was fine being, you know, he did, when it, I don't know what he did. doing things that people see that are sinful and creating a path that they will follow. You you flaunt your liberty like Paul says in Romans 14, which will lead someone else to do the same thing. So because you know that the forgiveness of God is on your life, you live your life just out there. You know, with sin abound, grace much more abound. I'm just letting grace candle it. But there's somebody watching you and you're setting a bad example. Let's go deeper. Sometimes you send a bad example for people in your own house. Their conscience has not been liberated to understand the full freedoms in Christ. It becomes a stumbling block and it becomes destructive. It's training them to violate the laws of God. So you got to pull that back. Be careful of the example that you set even when you think they're not watching. They watching all the time. They watching. God help you if you are friends with people on your job or uh, on social media. Because the moment you start posting about Jesus, then they're going to they add that up to what you act like on your job. They watching all the time. hmm Number four, failing to stimulate righteousness. Failing to stimulate righteousness. That means you're failing to encourage godliness. Stimulate one another to love and good works. You see your sister going left and you say nothing. You never come to them and say, You know what? You're going too far with this. Come on back. What's going on with you? What's happening? We need to have a conversation. You got to come on back. Let me tell you something. Sometimes those conversations are not, I got all the answers for you either. I just know you were better when you were here. I just know you were better when you were praying. I just know you were better when you were seeking God. I ain't got all the answers for you, but I do know where the answers are. So I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to push you to godliness and righteousness. I'm not going to let you sit in that. All that was under radical love. That was point number one. Here's point number two. Other points are shorter. (laughs) Number two, radical purity. Radical purity. We're back at Mark, the ninth chapter, verse number 43. That's where I'm getting all my points from. Um, so verse number 42 was radical love, but verse number 43, uh, 43, 44, uh, 45, and 46, 47, those are all Radical purity, let's look at it. Mark 49:43. if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go to hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now this language is strong, y'all. Because Jesus lays out the severity of how to deal with sin, he, he lay, he's trying to lay out the severity of how it de- how you deal with sin. It reminds us of what Paul says. Go over to Romans the eighth chapter, verse number twelve. Romans eight, verse number twelve. Y'all still riding with me? Romans the eighth chapter, verse number twelve. I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation. Romans eight, verse number twelve and thirteen. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by, it, by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. What is Paul saying? Paul says you have to force the sinful nature, the sinful flesh, to submit to the Spirit. You got to force it. You got to make that thing act right. Paul tells us that not only are we saved by the work of the Spirit, but we must also walk by the Spirit if we want to grow and pursue holiness in the Lord. He is saying that it must be an aggressive and severe treatment of sin. You can't just date sin. You just can't tell sin stop. You got to be aggressive. You got to treat sin severely. Jesus is using hyperbole uh, and an exaggeration to show the radical and severe action against all sin. Jesus is not really telling you to cut off your foot. He's not telling you to cut off your hand. He's not telling you to take out your eye. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, watch this, look at all the body parts that he's referencing, the hands, the feet, the eyes. Jesus is trying to sum up everything you see, everything you do, and everywhere you go. Everything that relates to your behavior, he's talking about all behaviors, because the verbs are always, watch this, in the presence tense, which means you keep on doing it. Your eye always going to be a stumbling block. Your hands are always going to be a stumbling block. Your feet are always going to be a stumbling block. Not just one time, but it's going to be a continual struggle. Touch your name and say, the struggle is real. The struggle is real with temptation and sin. This flesh wants to rise up. This flesh, listen, we just came off of a consecration, and some of the hardest times is when you come off of it. Because when you own it, you just all loving Jesus, and you, hey, glory, I thank you. And you get to eating that food, and that flesh comes all back. I'm back. Okay? You got to see this. Watch this. Jesus is saying that you and I need to get rid of, watch this, the hands, the feet, the eyes. What is he saying? We need to get rid of any barrier. Amputate anything that stands in the way of holiness, righteousness, and purity. Cut it off. Uh Uh-oh. Cut it off? You mean I got to cut off that relationship? I got to cut it off? I got to cut off? The way I want to respond, I gotta cut it off. I mean, I've I've had this attitude all my life, and now he says, "Cut it off, amputate it, cut it off." He's not calling for physical mutilation, because the person with one eye, one hand, and one leg can sin just as easily than than a person with both. God is not calling you to mutilate yourself physically or mortify any part of you that he says, but I'm calling you to mortify, subdue, self-deny, discipline, any part of you that hinders your development into discipleship. It's not about your hands. It's about your heart. It's not about your foot. It's about your heart. It's not about your eyes. It's about your heart. After you see it, what happens in your heart? After you go there, what happens in your heart? After you're around it, what happens in your heart? He says when it stimulates that sinful nature, that's where you know you need to cut it off. Have you ever, I don't know if you like me, have you ever cut it off in the middle of a conversation? Oh, yeah. When you talking to somebody and you like the Holy Ghost just like you know you need to shut up. And then you like <laughs> <laughs> And they looking at you like you was about to say something? <laughs> mm, no. Nah. Because when you walk in the Spirit, the Spirit has a way of shutting you down. Watch this. Has a way of helping you to shut it down. Thank you for saying that right. Because he ain't going to make you do nothing. You have to be a willing participant. Now, there are times in your life, like me, where you, 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 the Spirit is saying, no, don't do that, and you like, whatever, I'm going to do it. And then he causes everything to shut down from you doing it. So I was praying about this one day, <laughs> and I said, Lord, you know, I'll be trying to live godly. It's just not every now and again. Once a quarter, you know, something, you know. And the Lord said to me, and this is for somebody in here, sometimes when you are a danger to yourself, I got to shut down your plans because I got something on you that I refuse to let you abort. I need you to take a moment and thank God for every time he shut you down when you really wanted to. Cause you were getting ready to make a mess with your life and God said stepped in and shut you down and watch this sometimes he shut you down and you cried over it but it helped you in the long run yeah. okay mark 7 verse number 14 I'm trying to go quickly mark 7 verse number 14 thank you Lord for shutting us down mark 7 verse number 14 Mark 7, verse number 14, if you haven't, say amen. When he, called, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those things that defile a man. It's not the person that's getting on your nerves that's the problem. It's your anger issue that's already there. It's not the person that's bringing a piece of gossip. It's the gossip sitting on the inside of you. You get that? Okay? Uh, verse number 16 If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse number 17 When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So, catch this. You know, I used to get mad over this. I used to get mad that if I taught something and I asked, Are there any questions? and they asked me no questions. And then they walked away, and then they came back and they asked me five million questions. And I'd be like, I asked you, did you have any questions? Why are you coming to me now? And then I read the scripture, and I see the disciples did the same thing to Jesus because they were all sitting there. Now they wait till they get in the house and they say, Hey, Jesus, we got some questions. Look at this, verse number 18. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not get it? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles, what comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murder theft, covetousness wickedness deceit lewdness and evil eye blasphemy pride foolishness look at your neighbor and say that's all, right that's all up in here right now tap yourself and say that's all up in here right now because mm-hmm. you know what i've discovered i've learned how to say that i would never do that because <laughs> you don't know what you would do until you triggered to do it all that's up in here verse number 23 all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Jesus said that you cannot do anything to fix the problem by working on the outside. You can't change the person that's getting on your nerves. You can't change how fine somebody is. You can't change how you are being triggered by different people. It is not the outside, it's an inside job. Sin is the product of sin conceived in the heart, and it brings forth sin in action. It happens in your heart. You are drawn out by your own evil lusts and desires. It was already in you. It was already in you. Didn't nobody make you do it? The devil did not make you do it. Cussing was already in you. Lying was already in you. Fornication was already in you. It was there. It's in there. I, some of y'all don't believe it's in there. Look at your neighbor with a little suspect to say, you know what's in there, right? It's already in there. It's the inner attitudes that lead to sin. Jesus says the hand, the foot, the eyes to let us know, watch this, that you have to consecrate. You have to, I'm sorry, concentrate on your own purity. He says, pluck out your own eye. Cut off your own hand. Cut off your own foot. Stop trying to amputate everybody else but you. Stop looking at everybody else as if they are the problem. And here's here's the dynamic that I'm realizing in this generation. Because the society tells you that you are a better person if you're a victim, people walk around being the victim of everybody else. It's how she came at me. Is what they said. It's how they treated me. And, and my question always is it doesn't matter what they did. Watch this. If it mattered what they did to you, then it means that they control you. That's a heavy revelation in there. So if I can't control myself based upon what you did, that means you control me. Because all you got to do is just pull my string and that reaction is going to come out. You just controlled me. hmm. Because when a disciple refuses to mortify the flesh, suffering is always tied to sin. The commitment to purity has to be the pursuit of your entire life. The commitment of purity has to be the pursuit of your entire life. After salvation, now you've got to continue through the process of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Look back at verse, uh, chapter 9, verse number, Mark, the ninth chapter, verse number 9. Look back at verse number um, 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell. Uh, and if the foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Okay, I think some of y'all enjoyed saying that. Um, hell right here... Um, I'm going to give you a a brief uh, teaching on hell real quick hell right here when he keeps saying the word hell is actually translated Gehenna I don't know if y'all ever heard that word before Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A Gehenna it is the root word that comes from the valley of Okay. so let me set this up for you run over to um, Joshua 15 chapter verse number 8 Joshua 15 verse number 8, y'all still riding with me? Okay, I think I'm boring some of y'all. Y'all getting sleepy. Joshua 15, verse number 8. Tell yourself to wake up because I don't want you to be in hell. <laughs> okay. Joshua 15, verse number 8. Okay. Keep your Bible open because we're going we're gonna to walk around real quick so you understand hell um, in this text. Uh, the text says, Joshua 15, verse number 8, then it ran up the valley of. Of Ben Hinnon along the southern slope of the Jebusite city that is Jerusalem. From there, it climbed to the top of the hill west of the Hinnon Valley at the northern end of the Valley of Rephim. Now, stop. Okay. So, uh, Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnon is actually on the southwest, on the south side, south of the city of Jerusalem. It is on the south of the city of Jerusalem. Gehenna, Valley of Hinnon is on the south of the city of Jerusalem. It is also the place, I need y'all to hear this, where Ahaz and Manasseh offered human sacrifices before a god called Molech, okay? Write this down, you don't have to turn to it. In 2 Kings 16 through 21, 2 Kings 16 through 21, I want you to read this at home, and 2 Chronicles 28 through 33, 2 Chronicles 28 through 33, you will see the story where Ahaz and Manasseh were offering human sacrifices to Molech, 2 Kings 16 through 21, 2 Chronicles 28 through 33. They were offering human sacrifices in the land of Israel in the Valley of Hinnon, Gehenna, Valley of Henan, south side of Jerusalem. Are y'all with me? Okay. They were doing this to pacify this false deity called Molech. This false god that they were worshiping called Molech. A practice where they would sacrifice, watch this, babies to this false god called Molech. The prophets denounce this. The prophets of God come along and they denounce this and they say, hey, y'all need to stop doing this. Jeremiah, write this down, Jeremiah 19 and 6. Jeremiah 19 and 6, Jeremiah the prophet comes along and renames the place, okay, and he calls it the Valley of Slaughter, okay, or the Valley of Topheth, T-O-P-H-E-T, Topheth, okay? I need y'all to stay with me. South side of Jerusalem, Valley of Hinnon prophet comes along they were sacrificing the babies and prophet comes along and say hey y'all need to stop doing this and he renames the place and he calls it the valley of slaughter or the valley of topheth topheth means drum and historians believe the reason why he called it the valley of topheth or drum is because historians believe that drums were beaten watch this to drown out the screams of the burning babies prophet comes along says no we change the name of this, but I need y'all to remember what happened here y'all gotta stop all this foolishness come back to the true and living God y'all are worshiping this molek and he ain't getting you nowhere and y'all killing babies watch this King Josiah comes along in 2nd Kings 23 and 10 2nd Kings 23 and 10 and shuts down that place to return the people of God back to God and not the false gods 2nd Kings 23 and 10 Josiah King Josiah comes along and turns the place into a garbage dump. Where, watch this, what do you do with garbage? You burn it. So for 24-7, there was a burning fire consuming the garbage. Okay, hell, Gehenna, uh, south side of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, valley of slaughter Slaughter or Topheth. Topheth which means drums, okay? Then King Josiah comes along and says, nope, no more offer, nothing there. Now we turn into a garbage heap, and what do you do with garbage? You burn it. So there on the south side of Jerusalem was a burning that happened 24-7, which is where we get the word hell from. I had to go through all that to get you to see that. An unquenchable Fire. That is why Jesus says in verse number 48 that the fire never ceases and the worms never die. Jesus says either you deal radically with your sin or get ready for torment and the torture of hell. He's using imagery here. He's trying to get you to see the importance of this because they would understand when he said hell, Gehenna, what he exactly was talking about. Watch this. He's trying to tell them, run from sin. And embrace righteousness that you have to beat your body into subjection that you have to do your flesh and pursue holiness that is what he's trying to get them to to a place of radical purity not talking about cutting off hands and, and feet and eyes he's saying listen I'm trying to rescue you from hell because watch this even if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ and you go into heaven you got your first-class ticket right you go into heaven praise God that if you don't mortify your flesh you gonna live hell on earth because the wages of sin is you see that now that the sinfulness that if you don't pursue purity you're still gonna have hell even though you're going to heaven and ain't nothing worse than the existence of you living in hell and you going to heaven In't that a mess that's something else so point one is radical love point two is radical purity, purity. number three is for radical sacrifice radical sacrifice Verse uh, 49, we're back at uh, Mark 9. Mark 9, verse number 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. Everyone will be salted with fire. Now, what does that mean? Where in Scripture is the place where salt and fire come together? Jesus teaches some deep stuff right through here, okay? Write this down. Ezra 6 and 9 in Ezra 6 and 9 we see that salt was used with the sacrifice sacrifices were burned and salt was added as a symbol of God's enduring covenant because salt is a preservative you pack something in salt it preserves it okay they would add salt to the sacrifice when they would bring a a bull a goat dove they would put salt on it after it burnt as a symbol of of the preservation of God in their life, that God will preserve you even while you're killing your own flesh. Okay, catch this. In the first five chapters of Leviticus, you don't have to turn there, it is shown to us the five offerings that is offered in, in a sacrifice. You had the burn offering, write this down, the burn offering, you had the peace offering, you had the purification offering, you had the guilt offering, And the last one is the grain offering. I'm going to say these again. Burn offering, peace, purification, guilt, and grain offering. Now go over to Leviticus, the second chapter, verse number 13. Leviticus 2, verse number 13. Walking in the weeds tonight so these offerings were offered before the Lord in the sacrifice they're given to the Lord um, most of them for atonement so you know before Jesus what they would they, what they would have on the day of atonement they bring the sacrifice um, they were offer the best of the best okay and they were it up before the Lord because in order for something to live something had to die, okay, and so they will offer up a sacrifice, and they would have to do this over and over and over and over again, um, so that God would be pleased with them, and the wrath of God would not consume them, okay, because uh, uh, something had to die in order for you to live, and the transference of your guilt and your shame and your sin was put on that sacrifice, and it was burnt up in the fire. Y'all got that, okay? But in Leviticus 2, verse number 13, uh, y'all there? Look what it says. In every offering of your grain offering, you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. Is that what your Bible says? Okay. So he says specifically with the grain offering, you need to add salt to that. Okay. Salt symbolizes God's promises, God's enduring covenant, God's faithfulness as you make the sacrifice. What are the five offerings? Four of them are animal sacrifices, um, the burnt offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering. All of those were animal sacrifices. All animal sacrifices, and they represented the need for atonement at one minute for sin. But this grain offering is not an animal or sin offering. This grain offering is an offering of, here it is, consecration this is an offering of devotion and dedication that you are totally dedicated to the Lord. In, in other words, you would get, grab, gather up your grain and you would bring it to the temple, you would bring it to the, uh, to the to the tabernacle and then they would offer that and burn that up but God says when you offer that grain offering, watch this, you need to put some salt on that. I need you to season that one, ain't that something? Then it is covered with salt, watch this, to show durability and endurance and permanence of the offering of God. In other words, God is trying to say you put salt on it because it's to remind you that I'm going to keep my part and be faithful to you in spite of what it's looking like. That's what salt represents. And Jesus is saying you should have this same kind of radical sacrifice, an enduring and permanent offering. A total consecration to God. Can I tell you something? Newsflash. God is looking for people that even if the road gets rough and the going gets tough, you ain't running from God. But you're going to stay flat-footed and believe that the same God that brought you through hit this is going to keep you through that. We are living in a day and time, hear me, where people are not staying committed to God because the first wind that blows, it blows them away from God. Now, God ain't the problem. It's the endurance that you fail to have and fail to keep. We got to have the kind of endurance where if you stress out in the hospital, you'll still say, I'll bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's hard preaching this to y'all because we get a paper cut. You know, because we are taught in society, you ain't supposed to have no trouble. And if you have trouble, there must be something on your faith. Let me give you a newsflash. If you got trouble, that means you do have faith. Uh Because the enemy don't come after anybody that ain't walking with God. Can I tell you something? Stop being jealous of people that ain't going through nothing stop being upset with people that don't have no trouble and have no strife and you in church you giving God the glory you paying your tithes and it seems like you still catch a hell that's just to let you know that the devil is mad and he's trying to shake you out of your commitment with God but is there anybody in here that say I'm gonna stand I'm gonna be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord I ain't going nowhere next year I'm still gonna be in God if I live five years I'm still gonna be in God if I'm here ten years I'm still gonna be in God cuz I'm not gonna let anything move me out the love of God for my life this is this is the difficulty because we got to get to this place Romans 12:1 says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercy of God to present your body as a what living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is a reasonable service this is denying yourself taking up your cross and following Jesus giving yourself wholly and totally to Jesus an enduring sacrifice that you don't crawl off the cross at the first whim of discomfort and unpleasantness look at your neighbor say stay on that cross Look at your name on the other side. Say, stay on that cross. Don't come down, don't move. I know it don't feel good. I know it hurts. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you don't like the season that you're in, but don't you come down off that cross. Because here's the news flash: no cross, no crown. And there's some of you that's getting ready to, victory is getting ready to hit your life because you had to go through the cross of your life, and you stayed there in spite of everybody telling you to walk away. Your salt is your sacrifice. Number four, I'm done. Radical obedience. Radical obedience. Radical obedience. Verse number 50 of our text says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Now this thing messed me up. Jesus is saying, when the salt isn't salty, What do you salt the salt with? (laughs) Some of y'all that went right over your head. Say that one more time. Jesus is saying, when the salt isn't salty, what do you do to salt the salt with? Now that's a strange statement, right? Why is that strange? Here it is, because salt never loses its saltiness. Salt never loses its saltiness. I don't care what you do to it, salt will never lose its saltiness. Remember one time, I told y'all this, my mama was pregnant with my brother, and her taste buds was off, and she called herself making macaroni and cheese, and she put so much salt in there that I promise you, my blood pressure went out the roof in one bite. It was so much salt in that. And my my mother, her taste buds were off. Watch this. And no matter what you do to it, it's still gonna be salty. Because salt does not lose its saltiness. It's a stable property. It does not lose its taste over a long period of time. So what does Jesus mean when this salt loses its saltiness? Historians tell us that there were several kinds of salt that they had properties that made them impure. Catch this. In other words, what happens is it mixes with other things that would over time lose its saltiness because of what, it, what it's mixed with. Okay, Jesus is saying that salt is good, but it's only good if it's unmixed. Jesus saying you are the salt of the earth, right? Y'all remember that scripture? You are the salt of the earth. You bring the saltiness to the earth. That doesn't mean saltiness in, in a bad connotation, it means you bring, bring flavor to the earth. But what happens when salt loses its saltiness? What happens when you, as a Christian, are no longer effective? That's what he's saying. How do you get salty all over again? How do you get your passion back? How do you you get your fervor back? How do you get that desire back? Because let me tell you something. I don't care how long you've been saved, every person will go through a season where you just don't feel God like you used to. You don't get goose pimples. You don't. You know. You don't. It it don't run up your spine. You see somebody else running all over church. You standing like I don't feel nothing, and you wondering yourself, Am I off with God? Watch this. Sometimes you got to learn that you will lose your saltiness. Here's the here's the revelation, because maybe you've mixed it with something else, and it is now diluting your own saltiness. Mm -hmm. You you mixed it. You hang around with somebody. Your relationship with somebody. You, 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 you now, watch this, you used to have a little bit of hip hop, now you listen to it all the time. <laughs> church don't like that. You're losing your saltiness. You used to run to the church, now you run to everything else. You know you're losing your saltiness when you have energy for everything but church. Mm hmm. You know you're losing your saltiness when you have the passion to pray, and then all of a sudden you ain't got no passion no more to pray. And now you gotta ask yourself, what have I mixed my salt with? Is there anybody here that can just admit, like pastor, that there've been times in my life I done mixed my salt with something else, and it done mixed so good that what was salty is now sweet? I ain't got no real people right there. Mhm. Yeah. Watch this. He's saying you got to make sure your salt stays undiluted, unmixed. Notice this, and then he ends on, be at peace with each other. <laughs> See, I don't read the Bible, I read. Is that what the text says? He says, how you going to keep your salt salty? Be at peace with one another. Ain't hey, that some mess? Mm-hmm. You, you were arguing back in verse 33 about who was going to be the greatest. You are walking in pride, anger, and arrogance, no humility. Be unmixed in your obedience. Jesus says, stop fighting, stop the competition, stop being, stop being the cause of temptation. Be at peace with one another. So here's the crazy part. You know how he's saying you get salty again? Be at peace with one another. You got to hang around other people that's salty as well.